Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to go over what are some things that you should really keep in mind as you have a new person lease your property, a new business, how you should put their hat on and really think about their business, what is going on with their finances, etc. And we're also going to be covering some vacancy rates and why it is hyper, hyper, hyper localized. We are chatting with Rafael Colazzo. He is a commercial real estate agent that specializes in retail. And he also has written a book called Before You Sign That Lease. Here we go. Rafael, thank you so much for joining us today. You actually have a podcast in real estate investing, and um, I don't typically invite people, <laughs> just anybody. And you know, you obviously have something to add to our audience. So first, why don't you start with uh, telling us a little bit about you? For sure. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much, Stephanie, for, for having me on your podcast. You were actually a guest of ours on our podcast and shared a ton of great insights. So uh, really honored to be here. But as far as my background's concerned, I'm not originally from the United States. I was born in Northeast Italy. My dad's Puerto Rican. He was in the Air Force and um, was stationed at Aviano Air Base. He met my mother, had me and my twin brother. I have a fraternal twin. Um, we traveled around Europe. I lived in Italy and then Germany and then Belgium. And then moved to the United States when I was 14, went to school at Arizona State, studied in, in industrial engineering and economics, and then got into software. Uh, I was a software consultant for an, a company that implemented software systems for government agencies. And I worked in DC for a few years. I was in Puerto Rico on a large tax software project. And then got moved to Louisville, Kentucky after Hurricane Maria. The project got put on hold in, in Puerto Rico, which eventually moved us to Louisville, Kentucky. Transitioned from software into commercial real estate brokerage back in June of 2019, and I've been doing it ever since. Since then, you wrote an ebook that is titled Before You Sign That Lease, which is tailored for people that are looking at potentially getting a commercial space. As investors, we have to put a hat on of our potential customers and also as commercial leasing brokers. Why don't we go into each step of your book and dive into some areas of it, please? Sure. No, no, for sure. And I'll try to keep it tailored towards, you know, understanding the the client in your case, which is the the person who's looking for commercial space. And then we'll put the hat on as the investor and kind of explain why it would be a value to you to, to understand that. So, you know, first off in the book, we kind of talk about why you need commercial space in the first place, because I've had a lot of conversations with people who like the fact of having a commercial space as a validation of them having made it. But in reality, number one, they may not even need a commercial space because if let's say you're a web designer, why do you need a commercial space? It's it's more of just fluff for you. Uh, you could be a trainer that can go all these different places. You don't necessarily need a physical location. Again, also on top of that, it may not be in your budget. Your business may not be able to support you having a commercial space yet. So exactly. having that conversation early on so that you understand, okay, maybe it's not the right time for me right now. And that's okay. That's actually better that you know now versus you getting into commercial lease for three to five years and then having the financial commitment that you have to deal with for another three to five years. 
So, you know, that's the first step in the book. And then we talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things you need to prepare before you go down the path of getting a commercial space. A lot of it's being providing financials because a lot of times in particular, if you're a newer business or you haven't been around as much as some of these more established businesses, the landlords, again, put the investor hat on, why would they want to lease space to a potential business that doesn't have a track record of success? That's very risky for an investor. So if you can show the financial strength to be able to say, hey, look, you know, this is a 2,000 square foot space. You know, it's going to be $2,000 a month. I got 40,000 in reserves. Our business is producing this. We can support this type of payment. It's creating, getting ammo in, in, the, in the cartridge so that as you go out and, and look for commercial space, you, you become a more attractive tenant to these potential investors. And then we go through the process of narrowing down your list of criteria. How do you negotiate commercial leases? Some of the provisions you need to keep in mind as you're looking at commercial spaces. And then at the end, we talk a little bit about once you get to the point of getting to the lease signed, what are some of the build outs involved if you need a build out? And then we share some marketing strategies. And at the end, we kind of have a call to action saying, now take the action, do it. And when they go ahead and do it, what are some of the things that they should be aware of with regards to negotiating that lease? Sure. Yeah. So as far as negotiations concerned, again, this book was kind of written from the business owner's perspective, but a lot of times what I see business owners do is, and again, it, it makes sense as, as a landlord, you want to pass along some of the the main responsibilities over to the tenant because you don't want to have to deal with getting calls for toilets and whatever else, right? It's, that's the, part of the reason why you're investing in commercial real estate versus, you know, multifamily real estate. So they want to be able to be a little bit more passive along with that. You know, as a business owner, they don't consider the big ticket items. The landlord could pass along the responsibility for the furnace, the AC. If there's an elevator involved, maybe they're they're also passing along that responsibility. And you don't know that unless you read the lease. And and I had a situation where I was representing a, a, a small business. It was a international grocery store, and we were looking to sign a lease for you know it was a small lease. It was like two thousand or twenty five hundred square feet. And in the lease itself, it said that. The landlord is responsible for everything related to the furnace up to $250. <laughs> so anything above that amount, the tenant would be responsible for. And we don't, we didn't know what the age of this particular furnace and, and AC was. It didn't look new. So we ended up negotiating and, and flipping the script and saying, look, we're responsible up to $250 or $300 and you're responsible for everything else. So that's something from a business owner's perspective that's beneficial. Along with that, if you're in a multi-tenant center, a lot of times you got to consider what's the competition in that center because you don't want to necessarily be a liquor store moving into a multi-tenant center and then all of a sudden next door they they allow another liquor store to move in right so having some form of exclusivity you know we talk about sublease clauses if you're two three years in your your lease and all of a sudden something happens with your business and you can no longer stay in that location whether that's for cash flow reasons or maybe you're just expanding too fast then you say okay if you have a sublease provision in your in your contract at least at that point you have the option to be able to lease out the space to a quote unquote third party, and it helps alleviate some of that financial responsibility. And again, we talk a lot about different types of provisions in the lease. And again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to give you guys legal advice, but those are just some of the things to consider. You definitely have to be working with a lawyer. I was just thinking about that. How do you go over these leases? Do you have the lawyer right next to you? And are you going item by item because they can be 30 to 60 or more pages long? So what is your process, especially, you know, you're relatively new three years or so in the business, mm -hmm. right? Very few people know all the details oh, and yeah. intricacies. 
Yeah, for sure. So what I typically do, in particular, when you're talking about smaller uh, lease deals, th those leases tend to not be as expansive. But in situations where they are, I mean, of course, I have I have several lawyers that I work with that I hand over and say, look, these three lawyers that I know handle a lot of leasing, handle a lot of you know business law. These are the people you need to reach out to, and I highly encourage them to do that. I'm not you know licensed to offer legal advice. And I make that very clear when I'm having a discussion with my clients saying, look, I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, I, I can interpret what's going on, but I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, this is what it is, because that's not I'm not I'm not a lawyer. So, yes, I definitely involve lawyers uh, whenever possible. And if there's any questions that they have that are that's out, outside my purview, I recommend them to, you know, like I said, three, three lawyers that I know and we've worked with in the past. So what are some of the major things that these lawyers have educated you on that you can think of? It's based on a lot of the provisions, like worst case scenario items. I come from a you know engineering background, and in particular in software, you're thinking think testing, right? So you're yeah. <laughs> you're working with a, a piece of code or a piece of software. You got to start thinking of all these scenarios of things of of how they go on, and then test out the scenario to see if it's actually gonna to to function as intended, right? In their case, they do it from a legal standpoint. So they're like, what if this random thing that that happens in this particular scenario happens. And I'm like, oh, I didn't really think of it that way in particular, because I don't know all the moving parts in the background that, you know, I maybe I knew on the software side because I was familiar with the coding and everything else. But in a business setting, especially in the commercial real estate setting, it's going to be slightly different. And so maybe unrelated to leasing covenants, conditions, restrictions for developments, you know, what you can and can't have in a particular location in particular when it comes to site selection or, or locations for, you know, retail properties or retail concepts, you know, there's certain provisions within the, the initial covenants, conditions and restrictions, which what the developers use to be able to dictate what can and can't happen within a development that may impede the ability of a particular retail use to locate in that particular center. So that sort of thing I didn't really have experience with. Therefore, when I had discussions with this lawyer, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So now anytime I look at some of these developments, I'm like, okay, what did the covenant conditions and restrictions say? So I can mm -hmm. better educate my clients on whether or not it could be a good fit. So take us through the process of someone who is looking at a, a location. What is going on through their minds? I'm Latino. Okay. I work with Spanish-speaking clients. So a lot of them like to be located in corridors where there's a high density of Spanish-speaking clients, right? So location is very big for them because a lot of their clientele, whether they're grocery stores or restaurants, et cetera, they want to be located in an area where they have those type of clientele. I've had other business owners that are much more price sensitive when it comes to their location. They don't really care about whether or not it's in this perfect location. They just want to make sure the price is okay. I'm representing right now uh, a client who is a Persian rug, rug cleaning and repair business, right? Mm -hmm. So they just, need, they just need a warehouse space where they yeah. can clean rugs and then repair Persian rugs. So they're going to be much more price conscious because they don't really care where it's located. They don't need a storefront. They don't need a retail spot where people are walking on a consistent basis, where there's high traffic counts. They just need to have a space where they can operate. Again, it's, it's different for different businesses. If you're an industrial tenant, you're going to want to be located near your major suppliers, maybe close to transportation arteries like highways, airports, rivers, in particular, if you're bringing in product across different corridors. That's why I say it's very business specific. But Absolutely. Yeah. What is the vacancy rate in your area right now? I understand that it varies greatly with states, cities, and everything else. Uh, what is going on in your area at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and like you said, it does vary and, and it even varies on property type. So for example, mm -hmm. it, we have this location here in Louisville called Bluegrass Industrial Park. It's the largest industrial park in the, the state of Kentucky. 
it is, you know, you can't find space there. Less than 4% vacancy rate right now. And so it's very, What's very so difficult. What's special about that What's, park? Well, it's just the infrastructure. It's built out to support, you know, those types of industrial uses. And again, with the proliferation and the growth of logistics companies, in particular, you know, distribution companies, they're all looking for locations. And in this particular area, it's close to a major artery that can lead you directly to the airport. And, and you know, it has a major artery that can take you down south if you need to go to Nashville, et cetera. And Louisville being a, a kind of somewhat of a distribution hub, we have, you know, UPS here, FedEx has a second headquarters here. You can drive, I think within 24 hours, you can access about 58% of the US population. So it's from a logistics standpoint, it's a very good place to locate. And so we have always have a lot of people that are looking for distribution centers here in Louisville. And so and because it's one of the main areas where these are located, then obviously that means that the vacancy rate is going to be extremely low. You know, depending on the location, it's going to be very different for retail, you know, and, mm-hmm. and depending on the use, because with retail, it's it's such an interesting type of business because, you know, you have retail that tailors to a particular demographic. And then there's another retail that can tailor to a completely different demographic. Like you wouldn't put necessarily a dollar general in a luxury mall, right? So it really just depends on what the needs are of that particular market. And so vacancy rates are going to differ based on whether or not you're in a middle-class market or a upper-class market or a affordable market, et cetera. So I guess I could share maybe more stats, but it's, it varies so much. So is there a range, let's say in retail right now? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, right now in retail, I would say five to 10%, depending on where you're at and, and maybe even higher a little bit, depending on, on some of the markets. But, you know, I would say below 15% is really right now. And especially with restaurants, which is very surprising to me because I have several restaurant clients I'm looking for space for. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, prefer second generation spaces, what that means is that they're already built out as restaurants yeah. because restaurant build outs are exorbitantly expensive. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these restaurants are like, you know, I prefer not to just get a, a white box space. I want to be able to find a just second generation restaurant that we can move into. And there's like nothing out really? there right now, which is very surprising to me because you would think, okay, COVID must have affected a lot of restaurants, but there's really not a lot out there. Yeah. How about office? Office. Yeah. I mean, it depends actually. That's, that's another interesting fact. So I have several people that I'm representing one being an engineering firm. We're looking for 1500, 2000 square feet. So it's not a significant footprint, but they're wanting to be located in the East end and in Louisville, the East end is like affluent area. And there's mm-hmm. really not as much inventory as you would imagine. Now, downtown has been struggling pre COVID. It was struggling. It was starting to recuperate after COVID. It's yeah, it's really rough. I mean, we got mm-hmm significant vacancies downtown. And, you know, they're, they're, they're actually having uh, discussions with the city to try to see how, how can we revitalize downtown? I think the answer is converting some of those office towers or portions of those office towers that are no longer occupied with office users to some form of re- residential because businesses yeah. center around places where there's residential properties, whether that's condos or multifamily, et cetera. So I think that's the answer. And there's other challenges that downtown faces here in Louisville, especially the parking situation, uh, you know, the roads, the way they're, they're formulated. There's a lot of one-way roads, which kind of mm. affects the way that people, you know, navigate downtown. But I think one of the main answers to solving the problems with the people leaving downtown is having a lot more residential. So, Yeah, as, as real estate investors, I cannot imagine owning a piece of office in a space like that. But it goes to show that we all have the responsibility of going there and really being a driving force within the city to change that area for the better and change zoning and all of that and as soon as possible. 
it is within our capability of, and and I think it's really important for for people to really understand that you have to drive in all mm-hmm. senses, you know, especially when things are not doing well with regards oh, yeah. to your property. Oh yeah, and 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 again, it's 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 being that voice because again, leadership of the city is going to listen to the loudest people. So if yeah. if we can get a, a following of people saying, look. This needs to change. We, we understand this needs to change. What are the actions we're taking? And then hold them accountable to getting the results that you want. That's really what it takes. And so it starts with being that vocal person and then rallying people around your cause and then acting as that leader to be able to drive change forward. Rafael, thank you for jumping into you know some of the last minute questions with regards to vacancy rates and different asset classes. Uh, that was very, very helpful is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is really important for our audience to know? Yeah, again, I think having empathy is is something to understand. As inv- and again, the reason I say this is because as an investor, it's very easy to say, I want to eke out every little thing I can out of a transaction. But a lot of times people don't understand the opportunity cost of doing that long term. Like yeah. as an example, if you have a multi-tenant strip center, it's like a five unit strip center and you're eking out every single cent you can from each of your tenants and then two of your tenants go dark, how long is it going to take you to lease up that space? Maybe it takes you three months, six months, 12 months. Sometimes I've seen centers that have been vacant for a year or more. So what does that do to your returns over time versus you just getting an extra 5% or 10% in rent for a year or two period? Put your business owner hat on and say, okay, how can I work with my tenants to make sure that long-term it's a symbiotic relationship? So, And that can also affect your other tenants by having two vacancies out of five yeah. in a strip mm-hmm. center you're affecting our other customers that are not getting that traffic to their store or business. So you have to think uh, holistically about your center overall. Yeah. They, sure. They'll leave. They'll want to leave. I mean, again, exactly. if, it's a, if it's a, if it's 60% vacant, I wouldn't want to be a business owner in a 60% vacant center because you invite, you know, potential vandalism, you invite all those other things that, you know, and, and you get a negative stigma around the property. So I think a lot of it has to do with understanding that put your business owner hat on, put your client's hat on and say, okay, how can I make this so that it's a great relationship for both of us and try not to squeeze every single thing you can out of the people that you're, you're serving. Very, very good piece of advice, Rafael. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Great. Well, first off, again, thank you so much, Stephanie. I really do appreciate you inviting me on. It's been an honor. As far as getting in contact with me, you can find me on my website at you know www.rafaelcollazo.com. Stephanie was actually a podcast guest for us on the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. You can follow us on iTunes and YouTube and everywhere else. And you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to you know provide whatever insights I can, and hopefully we can do some business together in the future. Rafael, thank you so much for coming over. I really appreciate it. Of course. We'll see you, Stephanie. And if you haven't already, make sure to join our goals calls for the year and get your commercial properties going. Think of new asset classes, analyze, share information. I will put the link under show notes and I will see you next time.